0: We can let the uh, children be dismissed for junior church, and as they go, I'd like you to turn to Jonah chapter 4, book of Jonah chapter 4. The thrust of our discussion this morning is going to come from the question that ends chapter 4. God says to Jonah, "Should I not be concerned about that great city? The discussion this morning is going to focus on the passion of God <clears throat> for people, the passion and love of God for people. as we have been discussing, the book of Jonah is perhaps the the great missionary book, if you will, of the Old Testament. Uh, it is the book that most clearly describes the sending of a missionary, the call of the missionary, and then the response of people to the proclamation of the good news. It's also the book in the Old Testament that, that seems to have as its focus the experience of a person. There's a sense in which you could say by Jonah's writing of this that this is a bit of an autobiography of the life of Jonah. So as you read this book, it's easy to start thinking that the focus of this book, the purpose of this book is so that we can understand Jonah. Okay. And in a sense, that's true. From chapter one, we find the call and rebellion of Jonah. God calls him to go to Nineveh, that great city to proclaim the good news. Jonah gets on a ship and goes the other way to a city called Tarsus. That's his desire. Chapter two, we find the rescue of a rebellious man, a man who is called by God to teach his word, but is running God pursues him and brings him back to the path of obedience. Then in chapter 3, we find God saying to Jonah, Jonah, go and proclaim the message that I give to you. Okay, so Jonah's response is, he goes into the city of Nineveh, begins to preach in a journey that's supposed to take three days through the city, but after one day of proclamation, verse 10 of chapter 3 says this. It says, when God saw what they did, that is the Ninevites, and how they turned from their evil ways. He had compassion upon them and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened and that we looked at last week. It was also the destruction that they deserved. Grace was the result of the missionary work of Jonah in chapter 3. When we come to chapter 4, we find the most fascinating twist in the story. Uh, I was talking to someone on the phone this week about chapter 4, and they said, that's weird. Okay, that what happens in chapter 4 is it's, it's strange to watch the, the twist in this story that we see in the life and heart of Jonah. So chapter 3, verse 10, there's this phenomenal repentance and grace from God and the removal of destruction and the restoration of a city. But in verse 1 of chapter 4, the text says this. It says, but Jonah, the one who preached and brought about this result, under the power of God, was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? Going back to chapter 1, the original call. Okay, isn't this what I said? When I was still at home, that is why I was so quick to flee to Tarsus. He's like, God, that's why when you called me to go to Nineveh, I ran the other direction. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. God, I knew it. It was predictable. And now, O Lord, verse 3, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Okay, that's amazing, isn't it? God sends him. He experiences clear success in the work of sharing the gospel. And what would you think? You would think a man of God who's proclaiming the Word of God and sees a revival before his very eyes would what? He would be delighted. And there's no way that you read this story thinking, you know what the danger I'm anticipating is that Jonah's going to get angry when his message is successful. The danger you could anticipate is that after such success, he may be filled with pride. But to be angry? When people turn and God forgives and they're restored? For that to be a point of agitation is amazing. But Jonah's experience is not rare, is it? Now, see, it's easy for us to read this story and say, I would have given the right response. But folks, can we be honest this morning and say that when we have been provoked by people, we also wrestle with what it means to forgive those that have injured. And that certainly is the context here. Nineveh has been responsible for great damage in Jonah's homeland. They were a violent and evil city that had come against his own people. That's why he ran. We can understand that. Let's not step so far away from the text, so many years away from the text, that we feel like we're observing something that could not happen to us. Let's be honest and say it's very possible and unlikely that this kind of stuff can happen to us every day. Where we see the grace of God experienced by people that don't deserve it. And we don't give the right response. This is the story in the end of chapter 3 of God relentlessly and actively seeking rebels. God's grace wins the day in Nineveh. They repent and he brings restoration Which brings me to this thought then. What then is the key to this book? Who is the central figure or player in the book of Jonah? And you have options. You could say, perhaps it's Jonah. He's mentioned in every chapter. Perhaps it's the sailors who play a prominent role at the beginning. Perhaps it's Nineveh, a city that's mentioned in every chapter. Okay? Or the main character in the story is who? Who do you learn most about in chapter 4? you learn more about Jonah or about God? Okay? The purpose of chapter 4 is to, and I think the purpose of the whole book, is to unveil the heart of God towards the world that you and I live in. A world that is not for Him, that's not actively pursuing Him. It's a world that's against Him, and that's exactly the way we were. Apart from grace, self-seeking, self-pursuing, caught up in our own pursuits and passions. The theme of the book is that God has passionate love for all people, for all kinds of people, for people that we struggle with loving. God has love for them. When God forgives deeply sinful people, Jonah is agitated. In fact, verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, He was greatly displeased, provoked to evil, and became angry. And the question that we have to ask is why? Why? Okay, at one level, I'm going to say there's national pride. Okay, Israel has been attacked by Nineveh. Jonah's been called to go and preach to them. He fulfills the obligation, but doesn't want a response from them. He would rather that the message fall on deaf ears. So he goes, but his national pride, he's a Jew, he's an Israeli. He doesn't want them to experience the grace of God. He wants them to experience what they deserve for their evil and wicked behavior, chapter 3 and verse 8. And and is that just? Well, the answer is yes, it's what they deserve. But does it reflect the heart of God? And I think the answer very clearly is no. Jonah wants payback. There are some things that in Jonah's mind should never be forgiven. And this book, like no other book in the Bible, will challenge you in this area of what it means to forgive Things that we might have a list of that should never be forgiven. But God, our Father in heaven, is not like that. He ignores Jonah's desire for payback and instead brings relentless pursuing grace. So let's look at four steps through this chapter. Verses 1 to 3, which I read for you already, is the emphasis here is God has compassion for all people. Okay, God has compassion for all people. It is a deep, loving, passion For those without Jesus. Jonah's response is contrary to God's. What does Jonah experience? Okay, Jonah's response to the grace of God demonstrated towards Nineveh is one of great displeasure and anger at who? It's a hard question to answer. Okay, who is Jonah angry with? He's angry with God. He he hates Nineveh. But God is the object of his anger. And there's a sense in which we can say this. If God is a God of compassion, who loves to demonstrate mercy, as you find out when you go back, I'll just give you this verse, Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. Okay, here's what the Bible says about God. It says, he passed in front of Moses. This is when Moses says, God, show me who you are. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. His name, his covenant-keeping name, his name of love. Is, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He maintains love to thousands and forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Okay, that, where is that coming from? That's coming from the most famous book of the Old Testament that describes the character of God. And what does Jonah say in these verses? He says, I knew it. I knew that when I went there and proclaimed the message of grace, and they felt conviction that they would turn and you would forgive them. So what's Jonah's real problem now? Before his anger was directed towards where? Nineveh. Aggravating people in his life. People that had hurt others. That's who his anger is directed to. But now his anger is directed at God, but his anger is directed at the very nature of God. You know what he doesn't like? He doesn't like God that God would forgive people that you and I wouldn't forgive. He doesn't like the fact that God doesn't have a list of sins that he won't forgive. Of offenses that God has received that he won't relent on. And Jonah responds to God with anger. God's, this is just so powerful. In verse 2, what does he do? He's justifying, he's so angry that he's able to see his disobedience of God as justifiable. So verse 2, what does he say? He says, God, your character your desire to forgive and to show compassion on people, that's why I didn't want to go. Let that sink in. Okay? I knew that you would forgive. And I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to be party to that kind of grace, that depth of compassion. Okay, it's... it's this. Hopefully this bends your mind a little bit. Okay, that you look at, wait, like, this is a man of God who's called to preach the word of God. And when sinners are repenting, he, he resisted. Why? Because Jonah, Jonah went to Nineveh out of obligation, folks. He didn't go there motivated by a heart of love and compassion for those that desperately needed grace. Why? Because he was personally injured. He didn't want to be successful in this and go home and have the rest of his people say, how dare you? How dare you go and preach grace to our enemies? And I, I hear, echoed in this, I hear the voice of Christ. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That's the Old Testament law. But what does Jesus say? He says, but I say to you. And what is he going to He's going to take Moses' commandment and amplify it. But I say to you, love your enemies. Well, see, folks, if I don't love enemies, guess what? I don't understand God's grace. I don't understand the depth of the forgiveness that I have received. This is Jonah's problem. His real problem is anger towards God. Because God's very nature is to be generous and compassionate and to turn from judgment when we repent. And there's something about that that bothers every one of us. Often, if you, if you take time sharing the gospel, I guarantee you have heard this from people. You share with them that they're sinners in need of God's grace, and they're like, yes, yes, yeah, they yes you to death. And then they they think of that person who's really bad, right? And like, well, what about this person that abused so and so? What about them? What about the person that walks in a building and shoots? What about them? And what are they saying? I understand grace for me, but if you're saying that the grace of God extends to rebels, I'm not interested in that. You see, there's something about that grace of God, that compassion of God for the lost, that if it doesn't irritate you, I'm going to tell you something. If if you haven't been provoked and challenged by the Spirit of God to love someone that you don't want to love and felt that pinch of irritating grace, there's a good chance that you need to search more deeply into it. And understand it. Folks, I understand this. I understand that there are many people in this room who have experienced very deep hurts. But if your expression of grace has never pinched you and made you feel uncomfortable okay you 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 and i may be a lot more like jonah than we realize but we we love the grace of god that we have received but we're not practicing that kind of grace towards others and i think if i was to say what is the problem in this text i would say this i would say it is that jonah has forgotten chapter 2 of the story right because what happened in chapter 2 jonah is sinking in the sea, God is pursuing him in his rebellion. God sends the great fish to swallow Jonah. It is a, it's a classroom, but it's also a, it's a place of safety. That fish is coming, saves Jonah. And in verse six and seven, here's what he says in chapter two. He says, you brought my life from the grave, from the edge of death. Oh Lord, my God, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. My prayer rose to you. And what happened? You saved me. You see, and this, this to me is amazing. This cannot be very far back in Jonah's experience. He cried out to God in the midst of his rebellion, and God reaches down and rescues him from his rebellion, sends him into Nineveh. They repent of their rebellion in response to his message. And what's his response? He begrudges the grace that he has received. He's glad he has God on his side, but he's not sure that he wants God on Nineveh's side. Okay, And that's the pinch that we all feel when we wrestle with who God is. He is a God of grace that is so amazing that at some point in your life, it is going to irritate you. But let the love of God overflow you. Remind yourself that he saved you from the pit and edge of death. And trust in his amazing grace. Jonah is angry at grace. And the anger at grace is literally killing him. Notice what he says in verse three. He says, now, O Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. Okay. If I reject the grace of God and don't express his attitude of forgiveness towards people around me, what's going to happen? Okay. Here's what I think I can tell you very simply from this text. It is going to drag you down into a pit of despair it will ultimately bring you to a life where de- or to a point in your life where death would be better than life itself it'll bring you to a point where bitterness is so consuming that you begin to hate your very life and the experience of it that's what this story is meant to tell us jonah in his anger at grace is finding himself sinking in despair and his primary problem i believe is this i believe it is self righteousness Okay? It is self-righteousness. Why? Jonah could never see himself doing the stuff that people in Nineveh do. He could not see himself that way. But here's the amazing thing. Who's wishing for the death of others? Do you understand? Jonah wants Nineveh gone. That's all he wants. He wants them to experience the wrath of God. That's, when God said, that's why when God said, go preach grace, Jonah runs. Because he knew what would happen. Okay, so let this settle in. And as you think about this, something in the life of Jesus should kind of rise up in your thinking here. When Jesus loved sinners and preached the gospel of grace to them, who became his enemies? Who were his enemies? Someone say it out loud. Who hated the gospel of grace? The Pharisees. Okay, church folk is the better answer. Okay, The answer is that the religious people in the time of Jesus despised him. Why? Because they didn't appreciate grace. They were all clean and everything looked good on the externals in their life. And they were better than everybody else. Folks, here's the truth that you want to get out of this text. Jonah had a religious spirit. Jonah had a patriotic spirit. Jonah had a nationalistic spirit. And you know what it did to grace? It smothered it. And it caused him to hate the God who practiced it. Which is, to me, just absolutely amazing. So the first thought emerges, God is and has deep compassion for all people. The grace that we receive when we come into a relationship with Christ is the grace that people around us need. The grace that Jonah experiences in chapter 2 and preaches in chapter 3 is the grace that he is despising in chapter 4. And how is his attitude? It stinks. He is not having a good day when you come to Jonah chapter 4. I want us to look at what happens next because you have to ask this question. Okay, how is God in heaven whose very character is described by compassion and grace? How is he going to respond to this? We know how he responded before when he rebelled. What's he going to do now? And there's going to be part of you if you get a little distorted in your own self-righteousness that you're kind of thinking, you know what, God? I've had it with Jonah. And I hope you have too. Okay, this is a sense of which we want God to rain on this guy's parade in a big way. Wake him up. Or just remove him. Eliminate him. What does God do? Verse 4. It says, and this, this is just, but the Lord replied. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Okay, now there's a thought-provoking question. Have you any right to be angry, Jonah? And I think Jonah is thinking, oh, yeah, I have my reasons. Jonah has reasons in his mind that are very justifiable. For the anger that he is harboring towards people around him. And so what happens? Jonah goes outside of the city after seeing this response. And he goes outside of the city. and, And it's probably as he's walking out of Nineveh experiencing a result that should have been the absolute joy of his life. He's walking out to sit on a hillside overlooking the city of Nineveh. Verse 5 tells us this. It says that there Jonah built a shelter. Okay, a little personal place to hang out. And what is he going to do? Okay, verse 5 is fascinating. Jonah goes out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he makes a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Meaning what? Meaning what? He goes outside, builds a place of comfort for himself, because that's what he wants. He wants his life to be comfortable, and he doesn't care about others, and he sits in the shelter and he watches. What is he watching for? I think the clear answer to the question is at the end of 40 days, what's going to happen? Will Nineveh get what they deserve? Folks, this. This is strong. Okay what's he, He's going to watch to see if judgment comes because it's what he wants them to experience. What does God do? God begins to instruct his erring, angry child. God turns the shelter into a schoolroom for Jonah, where he sits hoping for destruction while Nineveh is praying for what? But think of the, con- Nineveh is praying for forgiveness. What is Jonah hoping for? And does this sound familiar? The disciples of Jesus are with him. They find people that are a little obstinate and kind of trying to block the ministry of Christ. Right? You remember that? And the disciples say to Jesus, I think it's James and John, they say to Jesus, Jesus, for these people that are resisting you, would it be okay if we called down fire from heaven? I think it's Matthew chapter 9, verse 55. And you read it and you're like, you have got to be kidding me. That's the disciples that have been with Christ. Okay, and what do they have? They have a religious spirit too. Folks, let me say this to you. It's one thing to know the grace of God at the beginning of your walk with Him. To come to trust in Christ, be forgiven of your sin, and to have great joy about God's grace. It is another thing. To learn to practice the grace that you have received. It's a totally different thing. And it's why the grace of God and the cross of Christ that we just sang about a few minutes ago so beautifully. It's why we rehearse the message of the cross. It's why you love a song like Amazing Grace because it really is. But here's what we tend to think. I needed amazing grace when I was, if you came to Christ at 30 years old. That's when I needed amazing grace. But what about 20 years later at 50 years old? Don't you still need to hear the same story? Don't you still need to hear the grace of God? Jonah had been called by God to be a prophet years before. He's somewhat down the road, but he still needs what? Grace. Folks, there's no room for religious pride in our hearts. And God isn't going to tolerate in the heart of his prophet. So what does he do? He pursues him. Jonah builds a shelter. God says, okay, let's turn that place into a classroom. Verse 6. Then the Lord provided... A vine. Some of your translations are going to say a gourd. Okay, one of those quick growing vines. He made it to grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Okay, and you'll find this. This is the first time in the book that you will see a smile on Jonah's face. Why is he happy? You know why he's happy? Because his shelter just became air-conditioned, if you will. Okay? He is, he, he is so pleased that God is looking on him with favor. God, here I am in my shelter. I'm overlooking, waiting for the judgment of God, which is sad. And then God causes the gourd to grow up over top of it. And what happens? It cools down his shelter. And what does he think? God loves me. While in his heart, what is he doing? He's harboring bitterness and hatred. Towards a desperately needy city. God blesses. Here's the amazing grace. God blesses Jonah in his anger. Okay? When you rebel against God, how does he come against you? But he's going to come relentlessly. But sometimes, well, let me just say it this way every time God pursues you in your sin, what is it? It's grace. It's God not giving you what you deserve. And bringing his restorative grace into your life. And demonstrating his restorative grace into your life. He is happy. From his comfort he awaits the destruction of an entire city. Verse 7. And if you circle words in your Bible, you might want to circle the word but every time it shows up in this chapter. And you're going to begin to see a train of thought emerging. It says, but at dawn the next day. God provided a worm. So God provides a shelter. Then God provides a worm. What does the worm do? The worm chews away at the bottom of the vine so that it withers. Then the sun comes up and God provided what? A scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. This is the second time it comes up. He says, It would be better for me to die than to live. And I think we could say this very. Directly, God now has Jonah's attention. God has Jonah's attention. This gourd that grows up and this worm that destroys it and the sun that beats down on Jonah is a miraculous way for God to get his servant's attention. Three times in these verses, what do you find? You find the word provided. Okay, what is it? It is the divine intervention of God on three occasions overnight where God is seeking to get The attention of his man. Why? His grace towards you in your rebellion, in your lack of forgiveness, is relentless. He will not let go. If he knows you, he will pursue you in this way, and you're going to dislike it when it happens. But it is God moving in your direction. Folks, ask yourself this question. What blessings has God allowed to come into my life to get my attention? What struggles has he allowed to come into my life to get my attention? Okay, because all of it is orchestrated by him. He's in control of it. The problem that you have in your life right now, he could remove. The difficult person, the difficult situation, the difficult history, he could have eliminated it. But it may be the means of grace that he wants to use to grow you. Which is why Paul would say, your grace is sufficient for me. My strength is made perfect in this weakness. What is God doing? God is seeking to get the attention of Jonah. Verse 9 through 10 then lead us to God's purpose in the vine. Because what, what at one level, it's grace. Okay, at one level, it's God. God is getting his attention, but he's setting him up to teach him a lesson through the vine. And you'll see that very clearly as you look at verse 9. This is God's second question to teach Jonah. But God said to Jonah, Jonah. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah's not reluctant with answers. So what does he say? He says, I do. And I am angry enough to die. I am so peeved, Jonah's saying, that it would be better if I was just gone. He just, God, just kill me. Kill me. Take me away. I can't live with the shame of this success. And at one level, what is he saying? He's saying, I don't want to live in a universe. But grace is so amazing. That is to me a stunning perspective. If you're going to be like that, and if this world is going to operate in that way, then I would rather not live. Okay, and can I say this? There are probably people in this room this morning who have felt that way. Okay, and I, I say this to you not to do more damage to you. But I say it to you as an encouragement to embrace the amazing grace that we regularly proclaim in song. But that I am confident we may be just saying words. We may be like Jonah. 40 days and God's going to destroy this place. Implied there is grace if you turn. But Jonah couldn't say that part. He couldn't embrace that kind of grace. And he didn't want to live in a world where that kind of grace was how God ruled. But at the same time, where would Jonah be if God gave him what he deserved? Do you see? And that's where, this is where we, we wrestle with what it means to experience the grace of God at the beginning. But now Jonah somewhere down the line in his prophetic ministry as a man of God. And what is he learning? He's still learning about grace. Folks, never never get over learning about the cross of Christ. Never get past the day that you trusted Christ and the days that you have trusted Christ through the course of your life as a Christian. Never get over that. So what is the lesson of the vine? God presses now, verse 10. He says, Jonah... You have been concerned about this vine, which is to say something like this. This vine that grew up over your shelter captured your attention, and it was the first thing that gave you joy. But, Jonah, it was all about you. You were delighted because you had protection from the sun, the scorching heat and the wind, these what some have called soraka winds that come out of the desert, 110, 120 degrees Fahrenheit, cooking the person that sits there. God provides comfort. Jonah's delighted because he is now the object of affection. He's at the center of the world. And then God tears out the vine and allows it to die. And God says, you have been concerned about this vine. You did not, listen, you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And I'll give you this, this quick summary that leads us to the lesson. He says, Jonah, you didn't plant the vine. You didn't tend it. That is, you didn't cultivate the soil. You didn't bring water to it. You had nothing to do with this blessing. Why? It was grace. Grace. But the vine had temporary value. Okay? So what is God saying to Jonah? Jonah, you got all worked up and all just, you celebrated. You applauded the provision of the vine. What's the lesson here? The lesson is that Jonah has misplaced affections. Jonah is more concerned about his personal comfort, his personal life, his personal eternity, than he is about a city of 120,000 people in the minimum in this story. The lesson from the vine is that we can often have misplaced affections. Jonah became attached to it and failed to realize that it was a gift that he did not provide. So what's the lesson? I think this is the lesson. Jonah, you love the vine. I love people. That's the lesson. Jonah, you got all jazzed about the vine. I don't, and what is God saying? God's saying it's not that I don't care about material things, but they're not what captures my heart. They're not the driving force and affection of my life. People are. That's so what we have to ask ourselves this question. What is the driving motivation of my life? Because it will, it will change how you view grace. If people are the most important thing in your life, guess what you're going to do? You're going to love them and pursue them and forgive them and seek them because that's what God does. Jonah values a plant over people. But God is saying people are more important than any temporary possessions, than any project in your life, than any career aspirations in your life, any educational aspirations in your life. People trump that with God. And that's the lesson that Jonah is struggling to capture in this account. Verse 11. God's now just continuing in this. His response to Jonah's anger. He says, Jonah, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. And folks, I want you to listen to this statement. They cannot tell the right hand from their left. And many cattle as well. Animals created by God. Okay, it's just like, where's that coming from? It's just it's part of God's glorious provision. His people and the way that he meets their needs. Okay, those two things kind of, if you will, come together here. So the last thought this morning is this. God is actively concerned for all people. God is actively concerned for all people. Nineveh is a city with 120,000. They can't tell the right hand from the left. What does that mean? If you have a study Bible with you, you're probably going to see two options, okay? One is that they're just too young. 120,000 children, perhaps ages three and below, something like that. In my thinking, I lean in a different way here because I think there's something about the moral confusion that is pervasive in Nineveh. Chapter 3 and verse 8 tells us what? They are an evil city filled with violence. Okay, which means what? What have they lost? Okay, and as you look at the country you live in, you might see this same kind of a loss. They lost their moral compass. They they lacked moral judgment. They 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 didn't. They were so far away from God's standard that that normal truth wasn't clicking anymore. That what should be so clearly wrong appeared to be right. Okay, they, they couldn't tell the right hand from the left. They were caught up in a fog or in a fit, if you will, of moral bondage and moral darkness, unable to make proper moral decisions. Which brings up Ephesians chapter two and, one, and verse one. What does Paul say about us before Jesus? He says you were. Dead in your trespasses and sin. Right? What does dead mean? Dead in trespasses and sin means in response to righteousness, no impulse, no life, no desire. But then what does God do? Verse 5, but he made you alive by his grace. He showed you the nature of the gospel and drew you by the work of the Spirit to see your sin and to confess it and to experience a grace that is amazing at the beginning of your Christian experience. The sad thing is that many of us move on beyond that. And what we really need to do, I think, is this. Don't ever get beyond the cross. Don't ever get to a place where the cross, when you sing about it, doesn't amaze you. When you read about it, that it doesn't amaze you and drive you and fill you with joy. God is concerned, actively concerned, for all people. And the last question that he asked at the end of verse 11 is, should I not be concerned about this great city? And the book ends right there. And you know what you're looking for? You're looking for a resolution. You want to know what happens. You know what God does? He removes Jonah from the picture now. Why? Because this story is not about Jonah. He's a main character, but he is not the central actor in this story. God is. And the question that God would submit to every one of us this morning would be something like this. Shouldn't I be concerned through you about this great city, about the Warren Valley area? Shouldn't we who know the truth, who know the grace of God, be people that practice quick forgiveness? Shouldn't we be actively concerned for the people that live in our sphere of influence? But what's the truth? The truth is we get concerned about the shelter. We get concerned about the gourd. We get caught up in our experience of comfort, wanting our lives to be good, our careers to be good. It's not that those pursuits are wrong. But I will tell you this, when those pursuits trump the call of God to be a person of grace and a missionary in your world, it becomes wrong. Okay, and we need it at times, we need to reevaluate our lives. We need to read this story and say, God, where am I in this story? Am I acting in your place? Encouraging people to come to find your favor and grace and forgiveness? Or am I like Jonah? Am I a person who experienced God's grace 30 plus years ago, but is not in touch with the blessing and reality of that in my heart today? Okay, does the grace of God amaze you? Does it capture your heart in a new and fresh way? Do you understand how a religious spirit can creep into the mind of every God-fearing person? Okay, so that when you read this story and you come to the end of it and God says, shouldn't I be concerned about this great city, Jonah? Yes, they deserve my judgment, but so did you. They need grace. Didn't I give that to you when you needed it? He's causing him to reflect back. And here's a story from the New Testament. That I think captures echo here. Okay? Think of the story of the prodigal son. Who goes off and lives a reckless Ninevite life. And then he turns and comes home. And what happens? The father, you know the story, the father embraces him, loves him, gives him a ring on his finger, a robe, sandals, complete restoration, pure grace. And who's ticked off? The older brother. Who in the story is who? He's the Pharisees. He's the religious person in the story. The father comes to him outside and says, Son, come in. Your brother, who was destroying his life, has come home. And the father is mystified that the older brother can't see how good this news is. You know why? He was being pinched by the irritating grace of God. It was, it was sand in his shoe. We did the canoe trip yesterday. I wore my sneakers to protect my old feet. And you get sand in your shoes and you start walking. You know what it does? It's just like, you gotta get that out of there. This is, that's exactly how Jonah feels. It's the irritation in his life. This is how the older brother feels. It's how, if you are irritated by the grace of God or by the sin of others, okay, you have fallen into a religious spirit that sees your life is clean and good better than others, and more deserving of the shelter of God. And you are wrong. And when I feel that way, I am wrong. I'm not going to tell you this happens to me on a regular basis. It's one of the dangers for every young person growing up in this church. One of the dangers of growing up in a Christian environment is that you, you are going to have to wrestle a religious spirit. And the longer you're in Christ, you're going to have to wrestle for a love. For people that don't know Christ. You're going to have to wrestle to see them in the way that Jesus saw them. You're going to have to wrestle with them. You're going to have to wrestle with God like the Father wrestles with the Son in this story. He says, my son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. Folks, isn't that exactly where Nineveh was? Yet 40 days good as dead. They repent. And what are they? They are back from the dead by the grace of God. And so it is for everyone that you meet. There is no, this story is about this fact. There is no one beyond the reach of God's reach of grace in your life. No one. No one. As and this, I want to say this. Because we can emphasize God's grace and compassion, and we should. But please understand that people will never see Their need for the grace of God until you tell them the truth of God. Okay, we live in a culture in which the church has embraced, you say, this is good stuff. Compassion and loving people that don't know Christ. Folks, people will not know their need until they know the truth. Okay, and we live in a culture that is preaching the love of God, but never saying, yet 40 days. Okay, meaning there is a time coming when the Savior returns and the sins of men are judged and some will be destroyed. Okay, why say that? Because that is the truth. We need to speak the truth to people so that they understand that the life that they're living is outside of the boundaries of God's desires. That's what Jonah goes into the city to proclaim. In 40 days, God's judgment is coming. Why? Because the city is filled with evil and violence. We need to have the courage to shine the light of truth. Because God's compassion only makes sense when we understand that He is incredibly, totally, and completely holy. The message of compassion is never devoid of truth. God says, Jonah, go in. I want you to preach the message that I give you. So I I challenge you in this way. Have courage to speak the truth of God along with the proclaim the grace of God that for everyone who turns from their sin and repents, what does He do? He puts our sin behind His back He buries it in the deepest sea. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. That is how the grace of God works. The judgment that we deserve, He eliminates it. That is His grace. If you don't know God personally, the cross of Jesus Christ is the shelter that God has provided for you. It's the place where He wants you to flee and rest, saying, I have no right to enter this shelter. But by the blood of Christ, I am going to trust in the work of God in saving. Me. Remember that God's deepest affections are reserved for people. His deepest affection in this story is reserved for people. Folks, be honest. Okay. What is it that has your attention today? What is what's on your mind as you're sitting here right now? Okay. What is the, the consuming thoughts of your life? Okay. You know what God wants you to be concerned about? People. He wants you to go and do what Jesus did. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. He wants us to relentlessly pursue rebels like he pursued Jonah and like he pursued Nineveh. That is the heart of God. He wants our affections, not just our moral conformity. What matters most to you? Comfort? Reputation? Or the needs of multitudes? Or the needs of that one person in your life that can't. You look at their life, here's what you do. You shake your head. You think, just what a sad, sorry story. You know what God wants you to do? God wants you to move into that person's life and share the truth. To share his grace. And to love them to the Savior. That's what he wants you to do. Because there are many people, and I... As I close, I ask you this question. If you were going to sit down today and write down the name of one or two people that God has brought into your life, they can't tell the right hand from the left. And you know what? They just need someone to tell them. They just need someone to tell them. Who would it be? Maybe you want to write that name down right now and just say, okay, this is the person that God, this is my Nineveh. This is the one God wants me to go to because he's concerned about them. Shouldn't I have the heart and compassion and concern of God for those people? Father, as we close our discussion this morning, I pray that your grace will amaze us.